Jesus work. We are changed by Jesus grace and we are living on Jesus mission. That was awesome. Can we just give the band uh, a hand this morning? That's great. Um, yeah, it's, it's a joy to get to be with you guys this morning and with us online. Um, we are continuing a series that we began uh, just a, a few weeks ago after Easter uh, in the book of 1 John called Abide, Life with Christ, Life in Christ. And, and throughout this series, uh, John, uh, the apostle, he, he's been writing uh, a letter to a, a church that he loves. And this letter we said is really like a sermon. So there's some prophetic words and there's times where he repeats himself and he, he just deeply, deeply cares about this church. And he cares about this church and his concern as John is kind of winding down his ministries in his 80s and, and 90s, his concern for his church is that, is that there have been errors that have begun to lead people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he pastorally and prophetically just wants to redirect them and point them back to what's true about Jesus, what's true about the gospel, what's true about who God is, what's true about obedience and salvation and, and all of those things. And so um, the first couple chapters, um, uh, chapters one and chapter two, uh, he's been just kind of going through some different themes about maturity, about being rooted with our identity in Christ and, and all of those things. And we, it gets us to uh, where we're at today, which is 1 John chapter three, verses one through 10. And uh, on your way in, if you don't have it, you can grab one of our discipleship guides. This lets you know where we're at in the series. Today we're gonna be in week number six, uh, which is abiding in the Father. Um, we also have these scripture journals uh, that just have uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in there. It's just God's word with some space to take notes. We want to get God's word in your hand because we believe that when we are abiding in God's word, that is where growth, that is where transformation is going to come. And so today in these verses, he's going he's gonna to lay out some, some pretty uh, hard and clear distinctions and so by, by way of preface, my, my prayer is while today will include, I think, some, some hard and difficult words, I, can, I pray that we have soft hearts, that we have words of, of conviction, not condemnation, that clarity is met with compassion. And, and, and while John has some, some hard and challenging words to us, there's also a lot of words of comfort. And so just, just know um, if, if this gets rough for a while for you or, or you're uncomfortable, no, I'm probably uh, uncomfortable uh, too, but, but know that we're, we're gonna end with good news. So if you stick with me. All right, First um, John 1 through 3 is talking about like who, who's your father? Who's your spiritual father? First John 3 rather, verses 1 through 3 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the next verses after this, he's going to really call us to, to, to kind of evaluate our conduct, evaluate our character. But before John does that, um, he wants us to behold God's character before we assess our conduct. So before you do any self-reflection, 
Before you try to figure out what's my spiritual condition, where's my heart, John just says, hey, let's, let's look at God the Father first. Let's look at God's good character. God is light. God is love. God is righteous. God is a loving father to his children. And so before we question our position before God, he's like, let me remind you what God has already said about you if your faith and hope is in Jesus Christ. He said, you can have great confidence. Why? Because you can see, you can behold, you can marvel the character and nature of God's love. He's a father, and he says here in the first verse, see what kind of love the father uh, has given to us. That God's love for us is not something that we earn or achieve, it is a gift that we get to receive. Like, that should allow all of us to kind of spiritually exhale for a moment. 1 John 4.10 says this, um, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he has loved us and sent us his son. So without any merit of our own, any performance, any achievement on our own, God says, if your faith is in Christ, you are my children and I love you. God has given us love. God's love changes us. It changes us into to children of God. And the challenge is, with that change, with that, like, who's your spiritual father? Is it, is it evil? Is it the devil? Or is it, is it God? Because that, that's a binary that he sets up here in a moment. He just says, I want you to know if your faith is in Christ, that you're God's children. But that also sets up a bit of a conflict well, what's the conflict? Well, he says it right away. Okay, we're called children of God, so we are. Hey, that, that's great news. And he says, the world doesn't know you. The, the conflict is this, that, that earlier, um, we've talked about what the world is a couple weeks ago, that, that the world's not all of creation, but it is, it is every system, structure, person, spirituality, worldview that is opposed to God or is neutral, saying you don't need God. And so he's saying, hey, if you're a child of God, if your faith and trust is in the God, the creator of the universe, that's gonna create a tension in a world that's rejected God, in a world that's opposed to God, that a world because of sin is, is rebelling from God. And so we cannot expect, and Christians, I want you to hear this, uh, you can't expect recognition from a world if you're walking in line with God's will, purpose, and word, you can't expect that you're going to get recognition from a world that says, no, 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 we don't want any part of that. We don't like your dad. And so he's saying, you're going to find yourself in conflict because you will not be fully known by a world that doesn't know God the Father. And I think that, well, that, that could be a bit of a hard word, but it should give us some peace because there, we all live with a natural tension of, do I really like this world? Right? There's injustice, there's sin, there's evil, there's impurity, there's all these things that just make us groan. Or rather they should. Because we're not gonna feel at home or completely comfortable because this is a place that does not know God. And so maybe part of your self-reflection could look like this. Am I comfortable with all I see, feel, observe, and participate in my life in the world? Like, are you cool with everything? Like, you just love how everything's going all the time. Every one of your relationships is humming along. Every news story that comes in, you're like, yep, good news, yay. 
right? Every cultural trend or fad, every time injustice isn't met with justice or mercy, anytime sin is promoted, you're just like, yay. Well, you need to ask yourself, what makes me uncomfortable and what doesn't? Because if you're always comfortable in the world, you might want to assess where your citizenship is. And while it's, there, there's a conflict, right? You know, and, and in this conflict, the world doesn't know us. There is good news in the conflict because the world might not know you or might not affirm you, but God knows you. God loves you. We have comfort with God because John says in these verses, we are beloved. He says, we are beloved children now. He says, we are God's children now. I mean, that, that is like, that's such good news because it means you're God's children today. He doesn't say, hey, you're, you're, you're God's children someday when you get there. You, you'll know. You know, you'll know when you're finally, finally crushing it, finally doing well enough. No, he says, you are God's children now. See, what's amazing about children, right? right? When, when, when a baby's born into a family, you're not like, well, we'll see if you become one of us. We'll see if you're worthy of the last name Rich. And that's why my, my five daughters are like, we're hoping to get married, change that last name at some point, right? No, right? When a baby's born, they're in the family. When you're spiritually born again, you're in the family. You're not waiting to earn your position in the family. You're in the family, but what happens? Like when a baby comes out, no baby looks like mom and dad, right? That first time going to the hospital, that first visit, you're like, oh, it looks like dad. Really? This looks like dad? You're like, Every baby looks like that. They don't look like dad. They look like dying grandpa, right? Okay, too many jokes for the sermon. We're done. Um, no, but, but like a baby doesn't look like mom and dad, but they grow into it. And so for us, as ch we're children of God now, and we grow spiritually into greater maturity. And as we do, we look more like our Father in heaven, if empowered by the Holy Spirit. But you never cease to be a child. You never cease to be in the family. So John's just like, he just wants this church to know about their position in Christ. That you are a child of God if your faith and trust is in Jesus. And so you're not going to be a member of the family someday. You're a member of the family now. And yet also there's this, this kind of conflicting deal because he says, um, what we will be has not yet appeared. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about that spiritual growth. He's talking about that maturity, but he's also talking about that future perfection that we are going to get to enjoy. And at what point does he say that? He says, when he appears, meaning Jesus, when Jesus comes back. He's like, that's the moment where you're really gonna look like dad. That's the moment where your sin is, is finally gone in a way that it no longer hinders you, where you're actually walking in that position that you've already had. And what happens, he says, is the, the thing that does it is you're going to behold him and see him as he truly is. So you're gonna see Jesus as ultimately glorious. All that thrills your soul is going to be Jesus like we just sang. We sang that even though we know that's not always true. But we long for it to be true and one day it will be that all that thrills our soul is Jesus. And so he's saying, 
You can hope in Jesus, and when he returns, you're gonna see him as good and glorious. He'll be the greatest object of affection, displacing everything else you give your attention to. Okay, that's, that's great. What about now? What about today? Well, because we're known as God's children through hope in Jesus, we will pursue purity in our lives now. Because we are known as God's children through our hope in Jesus, we will pursue purity in our lives now, right? Verse three, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So if we believe that we're God's children now, if we believe Jesus will return in glory, if we believe we're gonna spend eternity with God, with, with sinless Jesus, uh, and, and that to be sinless is a desired state, that, that, that less sin equals more joy, why would we put that off for eternity? Meaning, why would we not somehow say, maybe there's sin I need to repent of? Maybe God's calling me into greater and fuller and more joyful life now by repenting of sin and walking in the new life that God has given us. That's what John's doing in these verses. He's calling us into fuller and more abundant life now and today because you're gonna get to experience it in eternity. So like, you don't need to think about it this way. Like, um, if you're getting ready for a feast, a feast of glory, a feast of joy, a feast of all the things in heaven. You don't want to be like, well, I, I guess we'll fast on that for now, right? Like um, last weekend, I, I was down in Salem, uh, and I was visiting a, a good friend of mine, and, and this guy, man, he's just varsity level when it comes to just, just like grilling steaks, smoking brisket, and so on my drive, I got up here in, in this county, uh, and I got up, and I went for a long run because I was like, I know what my weekend holds. It holds a lot of steak. And on the way down, I was like, kids are like, do we need food, Dad? I'm like, no, we don't. We're going to Porter's house. And he's got steaks. Porter's house has steaks. And I'm like, okay, sorry, that's, we're, we're way in the weeds. But like I fasted because I was like, when I get there, I want to enjoy the good food, the good meat. That's not how heaven works. God's not saying, hey, one day you're going to get to experience glory, so fast from it today. One day you're going to experience purity, freedom from sin, so you should just fast from that today. No, he's saying, actually, how you get prepared for that feast is by pursuing purity today, by actually repenting of sin, pursuing holiness as an outcome of what we believe already. And I know this is challenging, right, because we don't naturally do this. And I think there's, there's lots of reasons that we don't do this naturally, right? That we don't always pursue holiness, right? We forget our identity, right? Um, and, and then there's, there's this possibility that I, I, I almost hate to submit to you, but it's also possible maybe it's not your deepest desire. And if it's not your deepest desire, maybe you need to ask yourself if you're actually a Christian and what your actual desires are. And you're like, oh, that, why, would you th why would you throw out a, a challenge like that? Well, in the, next, in the next six verses, verses four through 10, John's gonna lay out a, a pretty clear dichotomy between what it looks like to be a son of the king who's walking in that new life, who's part of that family, and, the, and what does it look like to have rejected God and not be walking in that direction? So let's read these verses and we'll get into it. 1 John 3, 4 through 10 says this. 
So he's already talked about our position in Christ. You're beloved. You're a son or daughter of the king if your faith is in Jesus. You, your love has been given to you. You haven't earned it. It's been given to you by the grace of God. And then he says this in verse four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins? And in him there's no sin? He's talking about Jesus? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse eight, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay. Some challenging words, right? Um, remember years ago, I was in a preaching cohort um, at a mega church, and um, somebody said, yeah, I just want to preach First John, and the mega church pastor was like, First John, all that talks about is just God loves you, and it's like fluffy all the time. I was like, dang, I think the guy forgot these verses. Because he's already talked about your position, and now he's saying, what is your practice? What describes your life? Like, like, what do you actually value? See, you can claim to believe just about anything. And, and that's, that's an ideal. See, ideals, ideals are so easy because an ideal is just what you say you believe. Well, I, my ideal is that I, I believe this. But your practice betrays your true doctrine. See, see ideals are easy because they demand nothing but words and empty sentiments. Values are costly because values demand action. Values get lived out. What you truly believe will determine what you do. And I do want to be clear, what you do doesn't define you, but it absolutely can describe you. What are the daily and weekly habits? What actually describes you in, in the ways of your life? See, these verses, see, they set up in ways that our world really, really doesn't like. John has actually laid out a very clear binary, okay? Clear binary, not a spectrum, not three, four, five, six ways, not a wheel of ways. He's like really, really clear. There are two ways, two spiritual conditions, two groups of people, two categories that everyone falls into from a spiritual parentage. The first category, believers. Born again children of God who love the Father, trust Jesus, hate sin, and pursue practicing purity. Pursue practicing purity. Doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean they are pure. But their hope and faith is in God. He says, God's word, God's living word, God's seed abides in them. They are children of God. And then he says there's unbelievers. Ephesians 2 would say children of wrath. 
Here, people who cooperate and imitate the devil as their father, they hate God, they're practicing sin, right? Honing the craft of sin. I wanna be clear where we all are. We all start out as unbelievers. Spiritually speaking, we all start out as spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, children of wrath, walking as sons of disobedience, you know, following um, uh, the spiritual enemy of God, destined for wrath and destruction. And Ephesians 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, has made us born again through his grace and mercy to us. So whatever category you're in, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or unbeliever, um, both should cause humility. This is a hard saying. Not everyone's a child of God. Christians who abide in Christ, you can have great confidence that I'm a child of God but we can't fall into a sentiment of the world that says, oh, we're just all God's children, no matter what you believe, no matter what you practice, no matter what you value. Now, let me be clear too. Everyone, every person, is made in the image and likeness of God. Everyone is worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. God has created all people that way. But not everyone can spiritually claim God is their father. Quite the opposite, because of sin, as I said, we're all born in iniquity, and it's a nature that causes us to rebel against God. And so it's because we're born from a family tree of sin. And this is where the gospel, we think, is such good news, because the, the gospel says, um, with your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again, which mean, and, and then you're adopted into the family. So, so you, you have a spiritual rebirth. Your faith is in Jesus. You are not in the family of the devil anymore. You are in the family of the Father who is God, and you're in this new family of life and righteousness. And then he says, hey, if you're in that family, you should act like you're in that family. You should repent of sin. You should walk in new life. John says, if you're, you're going to say you're a child of God, you've got to actively practice ways of life, imitating the Lord Jesus, honoring our Father in heaven. And so what he's saying is there's going to be evidence in your life which family you're in, who your spiritual father is. And he starts to talk about sin here, right? Sin is something that we're, that we're not to, to love and affirm, but it's something that we're, we're, we're to hate the word to reject. And so sin is a believer. He says sin is lawlessness. It's breaking God's law. By nature, it's rebellion against God. It's disobedience to God. It's failure to live our lives as our creator would have us. And because sin is a rejection of God's good law, it can't be something that is practiced by those in the family of God. So that word practiced is important. Because again, we all are sinners in need of God's grace. And, and earlier, John said like, hey, when you sin, you have an advocate for you in Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's not about if you sin or when you sin, because you will, you do. But what is your practice? Where are you placing your hope and your identity? Because if you abide in Jesus, you cannot and will not continue to walk in sin. 
you're going to find yourself in places of tension that need humility and repentance. No one can abide, which he said is held by, endures and gets life from Jesus and keep walking and practicing habitual sin. If you do, he says, it's evidence you either haven't seen Jesus or you don't know Jesus. And, And John's not doing that to condemn. He's doing it to call people to repentance, to see and know the Jesus who forgives sin, to see and know Jesus who invites you into a new family not defined by your sin, but by his work in your place on the cross. So this leads to some questions for us, right? I mean, gosh, I mean, am I in the family? Am I not? Does this mean if I sin, I'm out? No. Does this mean if I live a life of perfection uh, now, and if not, I, I should be discouraged? No. Does it mean if when I'm struggling to actually fight sin or have conviction of sin that I've lost my salvation? No, it doesn't mean those things. Those are all perfectly normal Christian experiences in the family of God. That we're not yet perfect and we're not gonna be until we're promoted to glory in our death or his return. Until then, all of us in the family of God are people who are in process. That's why a couple weeks ago we talked about maturity in Christ and what that looks like. See, he says God's word, his seed abides, dwells in us. And I love that he uses the term seed because he doesn't say, hey, there's a fully grown oak tree inside of you. No, he says there's a seed of faith. There's a seed of God's word. And as you water, it's it's going to, to produce more life. It's going to get deeper roots. And that is what your walk as a child of God is going to look like. As we grow in maturity, we can strive in the Holy Spirit to remove what's impure and unrighteous in our lives individually. And that might even take some gospel community, right? That we remember that when we sin, as I said, we have an advocate before the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous. And so he's saying, hey, you can do a bit of a spiritual diagnostic if you want to. You can look at the practice of your life and try to ask yourself, which family am I in and know that if you're like, okay, well, I'm actually doing good things. Like, I'm doing good works. Like, praise God, there's victory there, right? But, but it's not that, hey, I've done some good work and I hope that outdoes my bad work. That's karma. That's not the gospel. No, to practice good works of righteousness, he says, is evidence of God's righteousness in your life. It's not earning righteousness for you. Can you see that distinction? Hey, something, I'm walking away from sin. I'm walking a new life. That could be evidence of God's work in you. It's not earning God's favor because he's given it to you as a gift. What we're looking at is what characterizes you. See, I hope this leads to to self-reflection so that we're not self-deceived. I don't think this is for us to go picking out every individual and saying, okay, are they on the team? Are they on the team? Are they on the team? I mean, I know I'm on the team, right? I was saying, this is for you for some self-reflection. Like, if you make a practice of walking in sin, if you're always unrepentant, if you're uninterested in loving and kind correction or change, he's saying you can't claim to be a Christian born again by the Father, and so there's unfortunately only one other option to consider. And like I said, it's a binary, it's not a spectrum. So it's not like, well, you know, I'm just kind of like a child of the world, I'm a child of the universe. No, he says... Verse eight, you're, you're a child of the, the devil. He says the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
Verse 10 says, it's evident that you are a child of the devil. That's a, that's a hard word, like, right? We don't, we don't put that out on like nice little memes, right? This is as crystal clear as it gets. And, and you're like, man, maybe John just was like kind of grumpy. Maybe John later in life's just like, man, I just want to flamethrow on some things. No, no, he, he's just echoing the words of Jesus. See, Jesus says this in John 8, 44. This is Jesus. He says this, you are of your father, the devil. And your will's to do your father's desires. He's a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. That's Jesus. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to like the crazy Romans. He's not talking to like the, 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 the super academic Greeks with all their different gods. That's actually Jesus talking to very religious people. They've got the robes, they've got the hats, they've, they've got the hair done just right, like they've got their own standard of righteousness. And he's saying, you look like and you say and you claim that you are a family member of God the Father. He's saying, but I'm saying your father's the devil. He's religious, talking about religious people who rest on their good works, who create their own standards of morality to fit the times, who twist doctrine. See, without Jesus, we're not gonna follow God the Father in heaven. We're gonna believe the lies of the devil, who's the father, he says, of all lives, who has no truth. So what does Jesus mean when he talks about Satan being a murderer and a beginning of, from the father of lies? In Genesis 3, right, the, the serpent, um, Satan, he, he comes and he lies and he says, God the Father doesn't really love you. God the Father does not want what's good for you. The lie is God's law is not good and it won't lead to joy. Obedience doesn't matter. The lie is this, God doesn't punish sin or lawlessness. There are no consequences for sin. Sin's no big deal. You will not have present or certainly eternal consequences on your life. And one of the biggest lies is this, rebellion against God will lead to your joy. You'll know good and evil, he says. You'll have a much broader experience in the reality of life. These are Jesus' hard words to religious people. Let me just kind of put this, I think, in some context of, of maybe the spirit of our age right now speaking specifically to the church, to religious people. The word pride is big this month, right? You need to know that in the Bible, pride is never listed as a virtue. The pride is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride is the underlying root of all other sins. And I want to be clear what I'm not talking about. Um, I'm not talking about a healthy sense of self-worth. I'm not talking about the joy of accomplishment of a, of a job well done. I'm certainly not talking about what I said earlier about dignity, honor, and respect of all individuals and people. No, pride is believing you know better than God, that you can live without 
God. And so we are in a month right now that our world says that we must celebrate sin, which grieves God's heart. And before you want to go Christian flamethrowers on the culture wars, I, I don't really care about Target. I mean, I do. We usually spend a lot of money there. Um, I've been boycotting Bud Light since I was 25 because it's terrible, right? And I expect media, movies, politicians to all just go all in on this stuff. So I want us to stay laser focused on the church. What I mean by that is when there are churches, I'm gonna put that in air quotes, or Christian authors, or influencers, or therapists, or whomever, churches in particular that claim the name of Jesus, that might have crosses on the top of their building, but pride flags out front, who say identity is based on your sexuality or your gender expression rather than your identity being hidden in Christ, who reject the biological reality that God created us male and female while reclassifying sexual sin as something that, that we should be celebrating rather than celibate from, who say the only sin is intolerance, who say love is somehow a blanket affirmation defined by the world rather than God embodying love in the person and work of Jesus Christ who comes to save us by his work and change us by his grace. I'm talking about churches and Christians who falsely teach sin doesn't require Christ's sacrifice in our place. That Jesus' resurrection is somehow metaphorical or just spiritual and not a historic reality that is the bedrock of everything that we believe in. These are not Jesus-loving Christian churches worshiping the God of the Bible. They're not embassies of the kingdom of God calling all people, all sinners to repentance, to faith, salvation, and adoption into the forever family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. They are outposts of the hell they claim doesn't exist, and they are leading people on a path that ends in destruction. I believe in the phrase, clarity is kindness. So let me try to be clear. There are no pride parades in heaven. Don't hear that wrongly to believe the lie that somehow I just said, there's no sexual sinners in heaven. Well, there's no people who have same-sex attraction in heaven. Well, there's no people who struggle with their gender identity in heaven. Because while there's no pride parades in heaven, what I can tell you is there's a procession of humble sinners of all stripes, of all types, who are walking in, rejoicing in the honor they've been mercifully forgiven of their sins. They've been saved by grace. They've been adopted as sons and daughters of the king, that they are citizens of 
the kingdom and they are basking in the light and the glory of God who's glorious. Oh, heaven is full of sinners. Heaven is full of sexual sinners. All types. Whose allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Jesus who saves sinners. Jesus who loves sinners. And Jesus who says, I've forgiven you. Now go and sin no more. Theologian John Stott says it this way. Truth and falsehood, good and evil, right and wrong, God and the devil are irreconcilable opposites. Our parentage, he says, is either divine or diabolical. Which begs the question for all of us, what's our parentage? Who's our father? That's the question John's asking. I want you to know there's great hope in these verses. There's great hope in these words. John 3, 5 says, you know, you know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. In him is no sin. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. God has answered for sin. His answer is Jesus. I want you to know there's some good news here. As much as the devil lies and the conflict with sin is raging, the gospel truth of Jesus gives us hope. God's love is evident in that he sent his only son so that, the, so that we may be saved and we have faith in him, so we will not perish but have eternal life. The incarnation of Jesus is proof that God loves you. It's proof that God loves sinners. It should lead us, all of us, to humility to know that we are all sinners in need of God's grace, every single one of us. And so God constantly answers Satan lies with the truth. The lie that God's not good, no, no. God's good law defines righteousness. Obedience matters to God. We have and do, and like, we have and we do, and we'll fail to live in perfect obedience. All, all of us, okay? God's answer to our disobedience is to give us Jesus' perfect obedience in our place. So that when God looks at us, he looks at Jesus in our place. See, we can trust Jesus in our place because as John 3, 5 says, he is sinless. In him is no sin. His eternity, his 33 years on earth of perfect obedience, while being tempted in every way that any of us have been tempted and yet is without sin. Like that's Jesus' obedience. And we're granted that as a gift. We give Jesus our sin on the cross. He gives us his righteousness. That might sound like a deal is too good to be true. This is what God's word says. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, for my sake, for your sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, meaning in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So don't believe any lie that says you've out-sinned the grace and mercy of God. Because he says, Jesus became it. And he dealt with it on the cross. 
So while Satan says in the garden, sin's no big deal, God says, no, it's a huge deal. And my son was sacrificed so that your debt of sin could be paid, so that you could be released from bondage of sin. And where the enemy says, hey, if you just follow your own desires, if you reject God's law, it will lead you to greater freedom. God says, no, that is a lie from the pit of hell. It will lead you to slavery every single time. And God has sent Jesus to call out those in slavery to free them from their bondage of sin and said, come out, walk in new life. So you no longer have to be defined by your sin, but by Jesus' work in your place. And where the enemy says there's no consequence for sin, no, God says it will lead to death. God's answer for that is the resurrection. Because Jesus is alive, we have hope that Satan, sin, and death have been defeated. That Our response is to end our rebellion, put down our flags, I say this often, whether they're pride flags or patriotic ones, walk in humility, receive the grace and mercy of Jesus, repent of sin, knowing that joy will never be found in rebellion, but only in repentance and faith. Like I said, we're all sinners. Jesus saves sinners. And he tells sinners to go and sin no more. And then God gives a promise where the enemy says, you'll be like God without God. God says, I will be with you forever and you will become like me in righteousness. And the result is new, eternal, abundant life now and forever, restored relationship with the creator, a sense of identity that's not found in anything else that describes you other than Jesus' work in your place, and growth in grace-fueled obedience and righteousness, that God's answer for the hopelessness of sin and our tension with whatever's going on in the world right now is the hope of Jesus' return. And so I want you to ask yourself, what's your spiritual parentage? Who is your father? And know if, if you're struggling with that answer, if you cry out to God the Father in Jesus Christ, he says, welcome home. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the citizenship of a new kingdom. You're home now. You repent of sin, you trust Jesus. You reject the devil and his lies and you receive God as our Father. And you walk in new life. And we live lives in response, rejoicing as we continue to simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. You are good for us. Holy Spirit, I just pray um, that you would just just fill in where, where words have been lacking. Lord, that you would bring... Conviction where there needs to be conviction. That you would bring comfort of the gospel where there needs to be comfort. Lord, that, that there would not be condemnation. Lord, we know there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Lord, that we would navigate this world with grace and truth, conviction and compassion. And we would long for a new world and a better one with your return, with no more sin, no more suffering, no more tears. God, I pray during this time that we'd be able to reflect on your words, that we take communion, being reminded of your work in our place, that all of us needed your sacrifice for sin. And Lord, Lord, you would just lead our hearts to worship you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is a time to respond to God's word. If you just need a few